How I Got Here, the inside stories of startups and innovation in travel and transportation with your hosts, FocusWire's Kevin May and Mozio's David Litwack. Hello there, welcome to another episode of How I Got Here. These are Mozio and Focuswise uh, weekly look at the inside stories behind uh, startups and those involved in the innovation in travel and transportation. We're uh, delighted, uh, in fact, to uh, welcome our next guest, that's Ariane Gorin. She is the president for Expedia Business Services, um, has done that role, uh, I guess, congratulations, since uh, December last year. Uh, so, uh, welcome. Ariane. Thank you. It's great to be okay. here. Okay. A little bit more of a, a history about uh, our guest today. She was previously president of Expedia Partner Solutions. She was SVP for General Manager, Expedia Affiliate Network. She was a VP for EMEA Market Management. Uh, and she's been at Expedia Group since um, uh, 2013. She's currently also a board member for Trivago. But prior to that, which I think is something that we'd like to dive into today, I mean, you had a 10-year career at the Microsoft Corporation as well, involving in, in marketing and sales. Uh, and way back, going back to 2000, 2002, uh, you worked for Boston Consulting Group. So again, thank you very much for joining us. As we always start our podcast, we'd like you to uh, give us a sense of a little bit of your history and tell us uh, how you got here. How did I get here? How did I get here uh, sitting in an office in London? Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I suppose you mean how did I get here professionally? So as you said, I did spend about 10 years at Microsoft and I've been now seven years at Expedia. So I somehow always end up working for Seattle-based tech companies. Um, but I actually started out of undergrad in consulting. And like many people, I spent about spent a few years in consulting because I didn't quite know what I wanted to do. Uh, and then finally, I realized, you know what, what I like is technology. Um, I like technology because it, uh, it, it makes things change. It, it helps invent new businesses. It, it makes things happen in a different way. And so uh, when I moved to Paris in 2001 and I was still working in consulting, I decided for personal reasons to stay in Paris. And I started looking at, well, what companies could I go work for? And as an American in Paris, I thought I want to go work for a U.S.-based tech company <laughs> in Paris. So I ended up at Microsoft. It was kind of a fluke. And I ended up spending 10 years at Microsoft, as you said, in various sales and marketing um, roles. And after 10 years, I was loving it, but I got this call from Expedia. And I thought, it's technology, but it's also travel. Um, and travel, obviously, a very meaningful thing to me, given that I'd grown up in the U.S., but then I was living in France, uh, and I thought, why not? And in the last seven years, I haven't looked back. Thank you very much. I always think uh, myself, you know, I'm quite blessed as a journalist that I'm able to write about technology and travel at the same time. It's great. So uh, thank, you for your, thank you for your answer. Let's talk a little bit about your experience at Microsoft first of all, before we get into uh, your more uh, recent career path, uh, Expedia. What did, I mean, you, you, you involved a lot in marketing and sales and a number of other roles, but what is it about the experience of Microsoft, whether it was working for a big organization or something else that kind of shaped the way you perhaps have um, kind of gone into the second half of your career? Is there anything in particular that you can reference? Well, I think probably the, the biggest thing I learned at Microsoft was actually about channels and distribution. Um, so a very um, 
I would say a very business focus. I'm not going to say, oh, I learned you know, something great about management. I mean, there are many things, obviously, that I learned about at Microsoft, but probably the number one thing in business for me was channels. Because, of course, Microsoft had great products. I am one of those people who, you know, I still love using Office and I have my Surface. Um, but also, one of Microsoft's real strengths was understanding channels and go-to-markets. So I was working in the French subsidiary, um, actually running marketing for a small mid-market business and then running distribution sales. And you know what I learned for the office business, for example, is that what you needed to do is make sure your product was wherever people wanted to buy it. So whether that was you know pre-installing it on PCs selling it at you know retail stores like for me it was in france so it was the fnac or you know in the us it might be best buy or online at amazon you know this was 10 years ago and i don't think any of us could have imagined even then how big amazon would be uh or you know through partner channels that were then you know selling to to mid-market businesses i really learned about the importance of making sure that you had a balanced channel strategy um we were at the time also uh, starting Microsoft online stores, so the direct business. Mm. And we spent so much time internally sort of hemming and hawing about, um, you know, the, the different channels and what were the economics going to look like and what should the pricing look like. And actually, there was a lot of effort spent there internally in the subsidiary when actually I think the, what we probably should have spent more time on was, well, where are the customers buying? And actually you need to be in all, all the different channels. And the reason that sort of I, I bring that up here is that then when I came into the travel industry, you know, I was initially working with the hotels, the so hotels in Europe, Middle East, Africa, that were distributing on the Expedia platform. And I started to learn about how in the travel industry, there are always these debates about, you know, booking direct versus booking mm-hmm. through an online travel agent or someone else. And, I kept on going back to that learning from Microsoft, which is, you know, you can have a direct channel, but just because you have a direct channel doesn't mean that that's where everyone's going to buy. Um, And so the importance of really having a balanced channel. Uh, Interestingly, um, uh, back to the Microsoft time, did you understand at all any of the, while you were at Microsoft, any of the kind of the mechanics of how travel works? Or was that something that was completely new to you once you got to Expedia? It was completely new to me. I mean, I, I knew travel as a consumer of travel, yeah. um, but I didn't know much about the business of travel at all. Okay. And just, you know, just on, on the Microsoft thing a little bit more, I mean, what did you role did you play, if any, in kind of you know, initiating innovation and kind of pushing some of the things that were, you know, um, dare we say you use the phrase outside of the box at all is that anything that you is there anything that you learned in particular at microsoft there yeah so there was there was one thing that um i feel very fortunate to have gotten to be part of and that was the whole transformation of the office business from on-premise to being in the cloud and to being office 365 sort of a you know this cloud subscription business and my role was in the French subsidiary, so I wasn't in the product groups at Corp that were working on, you know, what is the product offering, you know, what's the positioning, you know, so I wasn't part of that part of the innovation. I would say I was more part of the last mile. How do we actually get this to work? Yeah. And it was interesting because it was in sort of, I think it was around 2010, 2011, 2012, and 
you know, we had this beautiful, profitable, like $20 billion global office business that we're kind of turning on its head to go from on-premise to a subscription business. And at the time in France, Google was clearly coming at us hard. Um, and Google was coming in with Google Apps at a very low price point mm. uh, and going into the installed base uh, of enterprise customers and saying, you know what, you don't need to pay for this office suite. We're gonna, you can have Google for a much lower price. Because initially when we'd done the pricing and the positioning, I think it was, we were trying in some ways to, to maintain the margins. And so for the sort of the few months after, uh, actually probably not even the few months, probably for the couple of years after we launched Office 365, the role that we played in the subsidiary was really giving feedback to Corp to say, you know what, on the pricing, yeah. it's not competitive. So if we want to win some of these big partners, we need to take it down on the servicing and what's expected from customers in terms of our reactiveness. I mean, I remember we would have these, you know, our customers would call us and say that there were issues with the service before even we sort of were communicating it to them from Seattle. So you had these engineering teams at Corp that had been used to, you know, developing products, not services that they were maintaining. So we needed to help them learn about what were the customer expectations. There were things like the contracts, the, the model clauses on data privacy that we hadn't been in before. There were things like the sales compensation. You know, when we first put Office 365 out there, um, if I was a salesperson sitting in a subsidiary, I might actually get paid more if I sold the on-premise version of it Right. versus the service. So there was just all of these things that, as I said, it wasn't about the innovation of developing the product, but it was more about how do you actually go to market and make it successful? I mean, I could go on and on. It's the partner channel. It was all of those things that actually make a, a brilliant product or service sort of make it or break it when it comes to selling it to someone and having them use it. Right. What's interesting about what you just said, actually, is that... Um, you know, Mozio <clears throat> operates in the ground transportation world, and we're seeing a lot of <clears throat> issues right now with car rental companies coming to terms with the fact that rideshare is eating their business. And it seems like you actually had somewhat of a similar uh, issue you had to work through where, you know, uh, Google Apps was eating the Microsoft Word and uh, Office business. And you, you mentioned a couple different things here. One about how they were incentivized to sell on-premise at one point and how... <clears throat> That you people tried to preserve their margins, and I see this all the time with a car rental uh, company saying, "Well, we make twenty five percent," and I'm saying, "Well, you're going to make three. <laughs> and like, yeah. I, I'm curious how you know, but you're going to have ten x as many reservations. How did you manage those internal uh, that is those internal dynamics to try to get people to move towards the future uh, instead of being conservative? Yeah, and and again, I mean, I, I was uh, I was just in the French subsidiary, which was, you know, less than 10% of Microsoft's business. So I can't overstate you know, the role that, you know, I or my team could play in that. But I think what we did was we gave feedback to the decision makers at Corp about this is what's actually happening. Because I think often, you know, when, as, as you said, it's hard to cannibalize yourself or it's hard to let go of a reality that you've been living in if you're not actually seeing what a future could be or what the danger is of continuing to do what you're doing. And so the role that I played with my team was to give really precise feedback on um, 
look, here are the deals we're going to lose if we don't make that change. And also try to help get people comfortable of, yes, it's a P&L hit initially, but if you can then work to uh, retain the business over time and then grow, well, you know what, it's sort of, it's the bridge that we have to jump off of. So again, I think at Microsoft, I was playing a relatively small role overall, but you know, in, in, I think for anybody who's leading a business and we all see how quickly, you know, trends are, you know, just how quickly everything is moving, it can be really scary to cannibalize your own business. Yeah. So I think more and more, that's what many of us have to do. Okay. So, um, we get to uh, 2013, you said uh, Expedia came calling. Um, can you give us some kind of a, a run through of how that all came about? So um, I, suppose it's, I suppose the first part is to ask, were you ready to leave Microsoft at that point? And, you know, what was the draw of going to Expedia? I mean, who did you interview with? Yeah. Any kind of, you know, yep. stories around the process of how you came to join such a big organization with, as you, you know, conceded earlier, with no travel experience at all? Yeah, so, you know, actually about a year before I joined Expedia, um, I almost took another job. I almost left Microsoft for something else. And I ended up not doing it because I realized I wasn't running towards something. I was running away from it. And I thought, okay, I don't want to do that if I'm going to leave Microsoft because I was quite happy there. Uh, But if I'm going to leave, it's because there's something else I really want to go to. So when I got the call from Expedia, um, it was actually, it was a guy named Cyril Rank who now runs all of the supply organization. And so Cyril, um, you had an interview with him. And as I said, I I thought travel plus technology, great, because um, large fragmented markets still ready to, you know, lots of opportunity for disruption. For me, what I really liked about Expedia also was it's a U.S.-based tech company but with you know, a management team or a leadership team that spread out globally. Because it was clear to me that if I had wanted to you know, get into a real decision-making role at Microsoft, I probably would have had to move to Seattle and I wanted my family to stay in Europe. So there was a location thing that was interesting. And then I just loved everyone who I met. And one of the things that attracted me is they said to me, look, Ariane, we're not hiring you for this role we're hiring you for your potential. So come and do this role and then you can see what happens. And it ended up actually working out really well because I've, I've been able to, to continue to learn and grow in the company. But actually one funny story that I, I heard you chuckle on Cyril, so maybe you, you know Cyril. But <laughs> I know Cyril very well, uh, yes. Okay, well, so, when, um, so at the time I was living in Paris and he, he said, okay, Ariane, you know, we want to offer you this role running Europe, Middle East, Africa for Expedia, um, but you have to move to London. And so I said to my partner, and at the time we had, uh, our children were seven and nine. And I said, well, you know, I really like this company. I really want to move. Uh, I'm sorry, I really want to you know, join Expedia, but we have to move to London. And he said to me, okay, like I'm fine, we can move, but not for another 15 months because we have to find the schools for the boys. You know, I have to figure out what I'm going to do with my business. Like, there's a lot of logistics. And by the way, we're not going to uproot the whole family for a company you, know, you might not even like. So I went back to Cyril and I said, look, I, would, I, I want to join Expedia, but, um, but I'll move in 15 months because this was sort of early 2012. No, it was early 2013, and I said I'd move the summer of 2014. And Cyril said, oh, God, Ariane, you know, I'm going to break my rule, and, and that's fine, but 
you know, normally I wouldn't let anyone do this. And, and I said, Lisa, because, you know, I've moved all the time. And I said, but does your, you know, did your spouse work? Because what I was trying to say was, look, I think, you know, companies need to be flexible in particular when you have, I mean, in general, but also if you have double working couples uh, mm-hmm. and children, I don't think you can expect people to move at the drop of the hat. And I, th- I was partially just trying to test Expedia to say, like, are, are you guys going to have a rule that says you must move or you must do something a certain way? Or are you going to be flexible based on, you know, what the needs are of your employee and also the business. So that was like the, the last little test I had for Expedia before joining and it passed. Um, and um, what would you say was the biggest um, kind of deep breath moment when you joined, when you think, wow, this is quite an undertaking. I don't understand this. With I mean, people always have those when they join a new organization. Was there anything particular that stood out? Um, I don't think I had a deep breath. I don't understand this, but I do. I remember a few weeks in Cyril saying to me, okay, you know what, Ariane, we're going to expand the headcount in EMEA. Here's 20 headcount. What do you want to do with them? <laughs> and I said to him, well, wait a minute, you mean you're not going to give me a spreadsheet that says exactly where I have to put the headcount? Because at Microsoft, you know, because a lot of things were matrix down from corp, you would say, you know, someone would say, okay, you're getting five extra headcount and this is exactly where they need to go because it was based on corp models that had been negotiated between the product groups and the sales teams and there wasn't a lot of decision-making locally. And so when Cyril said, here's your 20 headcount, and I said, oh, you're not going to tell me where to put them. He said, Ariane, I hired you for your brain. Just like go <laughs> figure it out. So I think it, it wasn't an aha overwhelming. It was more of an aha, like, this is a smaller, more agile organization where, you know, I can do what I think is right for the business and then just move on. Yeah. So after you've hired these, these, these new 20 people, I mean, it's interesting um, what you said about they hired you for your, your potential. What would you say now being able to reflect back what that was? What was my potential? potential what did, yeah. What do you think they saw in you for your potential as it were? Um, God, that's a, it's an interesting question. I think that uh, probably um, a curiosity, yep. um, a, an experience in distribution, uh, because I definitely had uh, distribution experience from Microsoft and in transformation. Um, I think the, the fact that I'm half American, half French, uh, here, meaning I can sort of bridge European cultures and mm. U.S. cultures. I think they're just there was a good fit with an Expedia for that, and um, and as I said, I think you know ever since if you look at whether it was running market management or then running uh, Expedia affiliate network and then EPS and now you know Expedia business services, you know there's always been a new challenge to take on and. Um, and that's something that drives me. I'm, as I said, I'm, I'm curious and I'm always ready for new challenges. So maybe that's what they saw. You have to and, ask Cyril. <laughs> and, uh, last one for me before I hand over to David for a bit. I mean, I'm interested because, you know, uh, often many people forget that Expedia was born out of Microsoft in the yes. mid 90s. Is there anything about the cultures that was actually quite similar or had they kind of, um, were they just completely alien to each other almost? I know they're tech companies and many other things both from uh, the north, you know, the northwest of the US, but was there anything that was similar culture-wise? I think probably the biggest thing is being very data-driven. 
you know, I recall at Microsoft, we used to have something called mid-year review, which was every January, we do these big reviews of all of the different businesses. And sometimes it felt like math camp. It was, you know, very numbers driven. <laughs> yeah. um, do you know your numbers? And, and as a leader of the organization, you're expected to know your numbers and then, of course, make smart decisions based on them. And Expedia is also a very data driven company, not surprisingly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that's probably the biggest similarity. Okay, David? Hey, yeah. So <clears throat> I wanted to segue, I guess, a little more into a business conversation about how uh, you view uh, running an API business within Expedia. So uh, you're in charge of obviously all the B2B solutions. I, I think the, uh, the B2B world when it comes to APIs is you know, really complex for many of our, our listeners uh, from the GDSs, but also <clears throat> bed banks like hotel beds and more. And um, I'd love if you could maybe just give us an overview of how you view what you guys are doing at Expedia to be significantly different than uh, any number of the, you know, tens of other APIs on the hotel side, at least, that you can kind of connect the two and how you view yourself, uh, you know, what your competitive moats are. Sure. Um, so, I mean, first I would say part of our business is the hotel API business, but part of it is also um, what we call our template and our travel agency business, where we're actually taking the front ends of Expedia and Hotels.com and powering partners with those. So on the API part of the business, it's really the hotel inventory, and I'll, I'll go into that in a minute. But there's also a pretty big part of the business that's not only the inventory, but also all of the front ends. Um, and, and actually, the reason that I, I preface it with that is that for our partner business, what we're really looking to do is say, if you look across Expedia Group, what are the assets that we have to power our own brands that actually would be valuable to partners if we could partner them with it? And on the API part, that really was about the hotel inventory. So we have a, a very large team that goes out and contracts with hotels and other lodging um, providers around the world to power our own brands. And we realize that you know, there are many companies out there that would like access to that. So you know, it's a simple thing to say, okay, we're gonna provide that inventory through an API. And of course you wanna have great technology, you know, fast response time, resiliency, you know, it needs to be architected well, so that, um, so that sort of, you, you, yeah, technically, it's working well. But there's so much beyond that. There's what content are you putting in the API? It's not just rates and availability, it's also the photos, it's also, you know, information on geography or points of interest. So it's, what's the content in there? And then what's the wrapper around it? I often sort of think of our business with, we've got the API and then there's a wrapper around it. And that wrapper is anywhere from, you know, it's the account management and the partner relationship. It is, you know, our credit programs. So in some cases, our partners are merchant of record because they want to use their own payment gateways. You know, we work a lot with partners in some emerging markets where they might need 50 payment types. Uh, for their customers. Um, it's the customer support. So one of the things we did a few years ago is that we took our call center tools, so the tools that our agents use in the call center, uh, something called Voyager, and we externalized that for partners in something called Affiliate Voyager, so that we could provide effective agent-to-agent -agent support. 
So if you imagine a partner that's, uh, you know, one of their customers is on a trip and needs to make a change, instead of that partner having to call us so that we could make the change, they could actually do that on their own through the tools. So it allows them to have a better sort of service for their end customer. So that's why, you know, sometimes people think, well, the API business, it's just about the API and what's in it and, you know, the quality of the tech. But I think that wrapper around it also really differentiates us. No, that's very cool. I, I know that, you know, Mozio, we've talked about how we can drop an, a mobile SDK into a, a mobile app. And the idea is that we're trying to avoid the situation where I'm sure you think about as well, where we're one of 17 different APIs someone takes and just compares and it just indexes on on price so it totally. sounds like you know you know, one of your strategies is kind of trying to sink talons into <laughs> into your client yeah. you know that sounds maybe a little more predatory than i'm sure you'd like but uh you know into uh, your your clients so that they kind of um it's in their best incentive to run everything through you do you think that's a fair characterization no i would say that you know i think when you're running a partnership business you truly need to be looking for how do you expand the pie for everyone and sometimes it might mean that it actually doesn't make sense for the partner to use our inventory or use our service sometimes. But if they're going to be more successful but by not using us in certain places, but using us in others, then I think that that's better for the long term. And I know you're going to say, oh, Ariane, that sounds sort of pie in the sky. But you know, I think if there's something I've learned over the last few years is that you know, partner relationships, hopefully, they're in there for the long term. And if you try to get someone to use your technology or to use your service when you don't have what's actually the best fit for them, you're actually going to end up in a place where they're not going to be satisfied. So, you know, I, I'd like to think that we have great products and solutions, but we also need to make sure that there's a match between um, the, the partners that we're working with and what we have. And in some cases, it doesn't make sense for them to use us. Yeah, interesting. So one um, one of the first quotes I remember hearing uh, when I first started out in, in the travel industry actually was someone who I'm sure doesn't uh, work with you guys anymore. He was talking about pitching a, a hotel API. This was back when Mosey was much more API focused. And um, he was saying, he's like, I view one of my chief uh, my chief problems is to convince the clients that they definitely do not want to try to do this themselves, meaning they do not want to try to wade into selling uh, hotels all by themselves. And what his point was many people go down yeah. this pathway thinking, Oh, this is, this is super simple. Um, and his main job was convincing them how complex it was. So they would use a third party like you guys. And uh, you know, yeah. this is my, you know, you know, way of segueing today i'm curious how you guys view your sales and marketing efforts how do you position yourselves like that and, and how have you thought about closing the big deals i know you, you work with norwegian and, and, a, and a couple other yeah. big airlines yeah so yeah as you were saying that i was thinking it's sort of only do what only you can do and it's this idea with with clients or partners is saying you know we all have so much like there's so much competition there's so much we all have to be figuring out every day that if there's some if there are some things that you, you don't have to figure out yourself and you can just buy or partner with someone, do that so that you can spend your your sort of mental bandwidth and your energy where you can really differentiate. And so for an airline, um, you know, they there are probably many things they want to differentiate themselves on, but is building the hotel interface on their website 
really something that they're going to be able to differentiate on? Or is it just something where they're going to say, you know what, I want to be able to burn points on hotels so that I'm you know, giving additional value to my frequent travelers who are getting points, but do I really want to spend my you know, two extra engineers figuring out where should I put that book button on hotel or not. So I think the way that, you know, with, with partners, we really try to position things is figure out where is it that you need to differentiate yourselves from others and really own that yourselves. But then in everything else, you know, are there other, you know, are there places that you can partner? And, you know, it's, we were talking earlier about my experience at Microsoft and, I remember when we were going from office on premise um, to office in the cloud, which we were talking about earlier, um, you know, we'd have these discussions with big customers and we would say, look, and this was you know, about the cloud transition, we would say, if you want the you know, fast, uh, constantly evolving software, take exchange in the cloud, right? Let us run your email for you. But that means you always have to be on one of the last two versions of Office. So there are some requirements there. If you, and, if, and you can't really do custom integrations. If you want some kind of very custom integration, well, then you should run it on-premise. And I think that the trick is always with clients to, be real, to, to help them get clear on what is it that they're trying to accomplish. And if they need to do some kind of very unique, customized interface, well, then it won't make sense for them to use a template. So you're referring to Norwegian, they're using Hotels.com template. So if they want something customized, well, then you know what? It should be an API and they should build the front end. But actually, if it's not something they want to differentiate on, then you know, use the template solution. So I think that it's, it's about, again, having that honest conversation about what is it that you know, a partner is trying to differentiate and what are they trying to accomplish and what's the fastest way to get there. Uh, Ariane, it's interesting. I mean, in your, what, six plus years now that you've been at Expedia Group, what would you identify perhaps has been the most um, kind of innovative and inverted commas thing that you've been involved in? I mean, there have been some fairly, uh, uh, some would say, noteworthy developments over recent years, whether it was the Red Lion loyalty yep. program deal or whether it was the the big Marriott kind of initiative that came in last year. Is it kind of, do you see those as being commercially innovative or is there something else with regards to what you're involved in that you would say is more innovative than perhaps those things? Um, yeah, I think probably the one that I'm, I mean, those were are, are interesting um, commercial constructs and interesting opportunities. Yeah. Um, I think the one that I'm probably most proud of was um, the product work that we did on hotels.com for partners. Right. Um, so when I, to, when I started running the Expedia affiliate network, you know, a lot of the business was the hotel API, but then we also had a template. So we would power the front end for some partners. But it was something where we had a very small team. It was this thing called Chameleon. And we had a very small team working on it. Um, and yet sitting next to us in a sister brand was Hotels.com that ran it, you know, had hundreds of engineers working on a whole platform with a front end on hotels. And at the time, you know, within Expedia, we had these separate brands with the belief that if we all compete against each other, that's how we're gonna move faster. And when I took over Expedia Affiliate Network um, and we started working more closely with hotels.com, we made the decision to retire Chameleon 
and to actually build a partner platform on top of Hotels.com. Mm. And it's turned into a very nice business. We have a number of airlines using it. And to me, that was innovative. You know, it, it might almost sound obvious, like why weren't we doing that before? But it was innovative from a product perspective, but also from a, the way we do things internally. So I was pretty proud of that. Uh, I, I, going back a couple of years, I was at a Web in Travel conference in Singapore, and um, there was a, a joint presentation by uh, uh, Amman Bhutani at the time. Yep. And it may well have been Cyril, actually. That may be one of the times that I met him. And they were talking about um, kind of fostering innovation within large companies and test and learn and all those kind of things. Yeah. This, I mean, I, I, I'm always curious as to how really large organizations with lots of process and huge levels of technology, whether it's hosted in the cloud or in data banks or whatever, how they kind of think about innovation when they are so large. I mean, do they have specific units that say, look, we don't have to worry about the bottom line here. Let's just go and build some stuff. I mean, what, what has been your experience in the six years that you've been at Expedia with regards to that? Yeah. So we definitely, we don't have, um, you know, I think some companies have, innovation labs or, you know, some, some, something special like that. Um, we don't, I mean, our tech teams, we do hackathons, obviously, yeah. um, like many companies do. Um, I think we, um, you know, I, I'm going to sort of take it on another tack. There is, how do you innovate from a technology perspective? But what I think also sometimes companies miss is how do you innovate from a business model perspective or from a market opportunity perspective. Yeah. And so what I've always tried to do in the partner business is to look at, okay, where are the pools of demand that are out there? So whether it's in corporate travel or whether it's in offline, tra- you know, offline retail travel, because there's still a lot of business happening in offline, um, whether it's with airlines, whether it's with loyalty points, like where are their interesting pools of demand? And then how can we grow there and how can we innovate there? So part of the growth that's happened in the partner business is actually powering offline travel agencies. And I remember when we talked about that a few years ago, people were looking at me like, wait a minute, Ariane, we're an online travel agency. What are you talking about going to offline? Like that sounds like it's the opposite of innovation. But actually when we looked at, you know, what is the, one of the problem statements is a lot of these offline agents weren't getting access to a ton of inventory, or they would have customers walk into shops and say, hey, look, I'm looking at this app um, and I'm seeing all this hotel inventory. Why don't you have it? And so for me, part of the innovation was innovating in the business model. How do we get our inventory into these retail shops to help them be more successful yeah. and there were you know there were many issues that we faced whether it was okay well what is the you know the commissions model uh what is you know how do you deal with credit or just how do you actually get your api into uh, some systems that might not be very modern so that's why i think sometimes you know people talk about innovation they're thinking like oh the really cool star wars um okay i'm going to do something with you know voice or blockchain or that but innovation i think you know, for me, part of it is also bringing teams back to innovation can also just be innovation in business models. And it needs to be um, grounded in what is the customer need that you see. Yeah, I think uh, having sat through many a travel innovation summit at the Focus Right conference over the years, the word innovation <laughs> should often very much be put in, uh, in quotation marks. I mean, uh, coming up on time, I mean, I'm curious, and I think this is relevant to any person, whether it's a startup or whether they're 
you know, in a, in a large organization, they always have to deal with change. And, you know, and Expedia is, is, is no different. I mean, and it's gone through various changes, whether it's in leadership and things like that. When, when you run a, a particular unit like you do and you have to kind of um, absorb what happens and then kind of move on from there. I mean, how have you approached that over the years that you've been there? Because I say there have been some changes over those years. Yes. Well, you know, they say the only constant is change. Yeah. Um, and I remember when I took over the Expedia Affiliate Network, I think I was the third leader of the business in about 15 months. Ah. And I kept on hearing from the team, oh my God, Ariane, there's so much change, there's so much change. And so first I said to them, look, this is a company and this is an industry in which there's a lot of change, so we need to get used to it. But then I need to figure out how do I settle the team down and just you know, focus us on what we need to get done. Mm. And what I found then was, you know, you just need to, give people confidence that you as a leader know where you're going. And so it was, okay, how do I say, this is what our strategy is, but like, this is what we need to be doing tomorrow. Like, don't worry about what's going to happen three months from now. Don't worry about what happened a month ago. This is what we need to be doing now. And, you know, a few years ago, I, so I learned to ski rather late in life when my children were quite young. And you're going to ask me, why are you going on the story? But it, it will all become clear. And, uh, and, I was skiing behind a ski instructor and I realized I was a lot more confident when I was right behind the ski instructor than when the instructor left and I was skiing on my own. I just felt more nervous. And it made me realize, I, th I think we all do better when we feel like we're being led by somebody who uh, has expertise or has authority or we, we think knows where they're going. And I mean, I was feeling it as you know, an adult learning to ski, but I think there's a strong analogy to business is, you know, if there's a lot of change going on around you, what's actually important for the individuals is to feel like they have a leader that they're confident in and they can trust. And then for me personally, and I think that this is you know, for all of us, it's like, how do you build your resi resilience through change? And I am a big believer in getting my eight hours of sleep, drinking lots of water, you know, going on walks. My, my favorite book recently is this book, Why We Sleep. That's all about what happens in your body and your sleep. And certainly as I'm getting older, I'm realizing, you know, resilience comes a lot also from being physically uh, fit and well. No, well, well, thanks a lot, Ariane. Um, uh, it's been great to have you and uh, get the insights behind your, your rise. So this has been How I Got Here, Mozio and Focusware's podcast with Kevin May from Focusware and myself, David Litwack from Mozio. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you, Ariane. Thank you. Thanks for listening to How I Got Here podcast. We'll be back next week with more inside stories behind startups and innovation in travel and transportation. Check mozio.com slash move for a complete write-up of the highlights of every podcast with translations into five languages. And get your daily dose of news on the digital travel economy by subscribing to the newsletter at focuswire.com. See you next week.